Hi, this is Clint Shaw from the Los Angeles Times, and we're excited to be teaming up with Chase at the 2019 Sundance Film Festival. With the Chase Sapphire Reserve Card, you earn three times points on travel and restaurants, near, far, and the places in between. So check out Sapphire Reserve from Chase. Credit cards are issued by Chase Bank USANA. Accounts subject to credit approval. Restrictions and limitations apply. Copyright 2019, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. Hi, I'm Mark Olson, and this is The Real, a podcast where culture and entertainment meet. I write about movies here at The Times, and a frequent topic of conversation among my colleagues on the entertainment staff is how tough it is for any of us to just keep up with a relentless wave of content between movies and TV. So this show is about the stuff that we're watching and how we watch it. And so on Oscar nominations morning, it was a big day for movies such as Roma, Green Book, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Vice, Black Panther, and Black Klansman, all of which received multiple nominations. And so to join me in sort of making sense of everything that the Academy threw our way today, I'm joined by our awards columnist, Glenn Whip. Glenn, hello. Good afternoon. And uh, also uh, calling in, we have our film critic, Justin Chang. Justin, hello. Hello, Mark and Glenn. And Glenn, maybe I'll, I'll start with you. Kind of give us the top line reading here. Like for you, were there a lot of surprises from the nominations today or did you feel like it was as you expected? I came in second on Gold Derby. So just one off of Ann Thompson. So I feel like not too many surprises. You know, I had Yelitsa Aparicio being nominated for actress, which I thought was a bit of a reach, I was hoping. And then to see her and her co-star Marina de Tabira also nominated really, to me, kind of spoke to the strength of Roma in um this year. I mean, with 10 nominations, but most importantly, getting those two acting nominations kind of shows that it's liked by acting branch, the largest branch of the Academy. And I mean, I was at the Producers Guild Awards Saturday night. I sat with the Roma table and we all were a little disappointed (laughs) when Green Book's name was read at the end and it felt like a defeat. And this morning feels like a renewal. And uh, I think we'll get a little bit more into the saga of Green Book in a minute. But Justin, did you have sort of like a big takeaway from the nominations this morning? Was there anything that to you really stood out? I think that there were a few surprises, just enough. I mean, I think Marina de Tavira was definitely the one that maybe a few folks saw coming, but I don't think anyone was confidently predicting it. And it was tremendously surprising and delightful to see that nomination in the very first category, almost sort of signaling that we were in for a bit of a roller coaster. And we were and we weren't. I feel that this was a perfectly fine, good and bad, inspired and disappointing melange kind of of nominees. And what makes it refreshing is that maybe it holds out the promise of something better than what has happened in the past few days with Green Book winning the PGA, Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody winning the top prizes at the Globes, creating this impression that I think one of the best years for movies in a while was set for one of the worst award seasons in recent memory. And, you know, Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody are both nominated for Best Picture, and they have multiple nominations. I believe they um, have five each, but that's, you know, and the number of nominations, of course, doesn't always signal how strong a movie is, but I look at this list, and I was very gratified to see just how well Roma did, how well The Favorite did, including the somewhat surprising and completely deserved nomination for Yorgos Lanthimos in the directing category, along with another delightful surprise, Pavel Pavlikovsky for Cold War. 
two film, two non-English language films placing in the director category, you know, in lieu of they could have gone a much worse route, like with Peter Farrelly or something. So I feel that even though this is not necessarily how my personal picks would have looked, it's certainly not about my personal picks. And I think that they improved on earlier bad decisions. And let's talk about that directing category for just a second, where we're going to have to sort of like make this big asterisk caveat that there were no female filmmakers recognized in the category. And so that is sort of a huge issue to be had with it. But then beyond that, Justin, as you said, it's an extremely international group of filmmakers. Spike Lee getting his first directing nomination in that category. Glenn, what do you feel like could sort of be take could be read from that group of directors that they put together? Like, in essence, is this a sign that the new sort of international academy, is this them making themselves felt that they have Pavel Polakowski there, Yorgos Lanthimos there, Alfonso Coron there? Is that what that means? Well, one thing it means is that I should not have, after the PGA Awards, gone back into Gold Derby and switched out Yorgos Lanthimos and put in Peter Fairley, because that was a moment of despair for me and um, a dark time, and I should not have done that. It cost me that Gold Derby crown. But to speak to your question, Bradley Cooper, not nominated for director. I either the director's branch and, you know, here's the film critic snob in me coming out. It's the most sophisticated branch of the Academy. They have time and time again displayed pretty good taste. A lot of times, like Justin said, I mean, the Academy Award nominations are always a grab bag of good and bad, but usually the director's branch knows its stuff. And, and certainly it's a branch that in the past three years of this Academy membership expansion has really reached out to international filmmakers in a big way. And today's nominations certainly speak to that. Justin, did you feel like the nominations today sort of are a signal of the sort of new Academy making itself felt? I think especially you look at the nominations for Best Cinematography to see Cold War nominated there. You saw Caleb Deschanel nominated for a German language film that he shot. Like, do you get some sense that this is the International Academy? I do. And I wrote a whole piece on this on just how well a lot of non-English language films did in categories outside best foreign language film, Roma and Cold War and Never Look Away and uh, and even Border, which didn't make the Academy shortlist for foreign language film, but got an entirely deserved makeup nomination. So I agree with Glenn on pretty much everything he just said, especially with regard to the director's branch, has always been one of the most discerning and adventurous branches of the Academy, even before this ongoing massive push across the board to diversify the academy's ranks i mean this and they they are especially fond of bringing in filmmakers from overseas or from abroad or whatever who are now making movies in Hollywood, it, it, this is the branch that nominated, you know, for example, Lenny Abramson for Room, which nobody saw coming, or Denis Villeneuve for Arrival, which nobody saw coming. Yorgos Lanthimos makes perfect sense this year, right? I mean, he and Dogtooth, you know, <laughs> was a wonderfully surprising Oscar nominee for foreign language film exactly nine years ago, I believe. And boy, has he made good on that promise. I think, though, it goes even beyond the director's branch. I think all of us who are members of the LA Film Critics who study and observe the Oscars from the sort of, you know, <laughs> the lofty perch of our superior taste, we are used to looking at the Guild nominations that come out and just 
feeling like what a bunch of blockheaded choices, guild after guild. And partly that's because they're so limited. They're so American-centric. And I have no problem giving voice to my inner film snob or my outer film snob here because that just gives you a very inaccurate picture of what's great about movies. And so I think it's just the Academy's diversified membership. If you look back, I was looking at some of the, the 60s and the 70s, the years of Bergman and Fellini getting multiple directing and writing nominations. It's like, they used to do this a lot, actually. So maybe this is actually just a return to form for them. But I do think, though, you know, looking at, for example, this year with Yalitza Aparicio and Marina de Tavira, and, you know, there were, of course, other non-English language performances that could have made and should have made the cut. Those two performances, I think, while being very deserving, were the beneficiary of this big surge of support for Roma. So, but I do think overall we're looking at, I don't know if the Academy is more sophisticated than it used to be, but it is more sophisticated than the other industry organizations out there. You bring up all these great examples. I would just add one more. 1989, Driving Miss Daisy wins Best Picture, but the director's branch did not nominate its director, Bruce Beresford. But they didn't nominate Spike either, so maybe they weren't really on top of their game. But that was the last year that a movie won outside of, I guess, uh, Argo. Now, I actually spoke to Spike Lee earlier today, and I tried to draw him out a little bit on (laughs) this comparison that people are making between the year of Do the Right Thing and Driving Miss Daisy and this year where he has Black Klansman versus Green Book. Uh, Spike quite diplomatically said he only wanted to talk about Black Klansman, didn't want to talk about any movie that wasn't Black Klansman. And so he sort of skirted. I think this is the one day this year that you'll get that answer because the other 364 days it'll be driving Miss Mother F and Daisy. He was in a very cheerful mood. He said he it was a happy day for him, and he really felt like there was nothing to complain about. I bet. And so, where do you think that puts Black Klansman? I mean, he got uh, nominations for Best Picture, Adapted Screenplay, a Supporting Actor nomination for Adam Driver, and I want to say there was one other nomination. Did you mention editing? And editing as well, which, and actually also score, which was exciting because it was uh, Terrence Blanchard, who's worked with Spike for a long time, and also his editor, who he's worked with for many, many years, also got his first nomination. So, that was, I think, an exciting day for them as like a creative team. Yeah, I love both of those nominations you just mentioned. And I think if you talk to the Black Klansman team, they believe that Spike Lee could win director this year, that Alfonso Cuaron has already won an Oscar for directing, Spike Lee for his long and distinguished career. This is his first nomination. Why not carry it through? I just think the the momentum and the passion for Roma and for Quaron is so strong that I don't see that happening. But out of its nominations, I think that's probably its best chance. It was so interesting to me that today Alfonso Cuaron received four nominations for a single film. And so that puts him in a class now with Orson Welles and Warren Beatty as the only two other people to have done that. Although the like the difference is that those two guys obviously are actors, were stars in their films, where Cuaron, that fourth nomination was for cinematography. And he actually could have even gotten a fifth nomination if he'd gotten an, an editing nomination. But now that category in particular, there was this sort of like Oscarology voodoo about you got to have an editing nomination to win Best Picture. Do you, Glenn, think that that's a problem for Roma, that they didn't pick up that editing nomination? Yeah, that always used to be a thing, didn't it? And then Birdman, which was obviously did not earn a nomination for editing because it was kind of constructed to look like it was a single take. I don't think so. But that was puzzling that lack of that fifth nomination for Quaron, which I thought was going to happen. And then, I mean, what made it more puzzling is 
the movie that we all love, Bohemian Rhapsody, got a nomination for editing. And, and I mean, there's a lot of problems I have with that movie and its craftsmanship. It's the way it's put together. It's not particularly good. How, how does that get an editing nomination, Justin? Please. <laughs> yeah, I think that between Bohemian Rhapsody and Vice, in that editing category, it is the old line about confusing best editing with most editing. And I think that a movie that has a very tricky structure, biopic, both of these two are biopics with a lot of fast cutting between time frames and a lot of narrative trickery that in both films adds up to very, very little in my mind. You expect better from the editor's branch to be able to look past that showiness, which is frequently not a function of good editing. It's a function of screenwriting, much more than it is with editing. And Roma, which is a beautifully edited film, and despite not being as aggressively edited or cut together, I mean, you look at that, and then you look at the cinematography nominations, which I think were Roma factored in and Cold War, and of course, Never Look Away, and A Star is Born. I thought that was a much more inspired set of nominees. And so to me, it almost seems that various branches don't know what the other branches are doing. And then as it should be, I guess, that is the structure that the Academy has set up. And then, of course, everyone nominates Best Picture collectively. So you get a kind of compromise there. But that had me scratching my head, too. Justin, how do you feel about the way things are right now for A Star is Born? That it feels like it came into the season feeling like just an inevitability. And it seemed strong through a lot of the season. It's been nominated at all the guilds, but it really hasn't been winning awards. And then today, especially not getting that director nomination for Bradley Cooper, it feels suddenly like an underdog. What do you think of what's become of A Star is Born? Yeah, as someone who really likes A Star is Born, but doesn't love it, but is definitely not on the anti-bandwagon either, I feel both a little sorry for the movie and yet also confident that, hey, look, it's still received, I believe, eight nominations. It's still very much in the hunt. I think it bears out the oft-repeated wisdom that it doesn't pay to be the presumed frontrunner all the time because you are just this big behemoth, and in this case, a critically acclaimed, commercially successful movie that was expected to sweep the Academy Awards, and I don't think anyone thinks that is going to happen now. It can't really happen now. I just think it reminds me, it's not as egregious a case as with Dreamgirls all those years ago, when everyone just assumed from the minute the Dreamgirls trailer came out that it was going to win Best Picture, and then on nomination morning, it wasn't even nominated for Best Picture. You know, Star is Born is still very much in the hunt, and I think that the directing nomination is not fatal, but you look almost at the movies that were in the number two and number three seat, I think. You look at like Roma, which dominated the critical awards, and you look at the favorite, which you know didn't sweep to that degree, but was always, I think, everyone, maybe their second or third or fourth, it was very much in the hunt without being a completely dominant front runner. And those movies are your nomination leaders today. So I think there is something of a lesson there, but does Bradley Cooper's failure to be nominated for Best Director help him in the lead actor category? Personally, I hope he does. I think that Cooper and Willem Dafoe, a surprise nominee for At Eternity's Gate, are far and away the two best nominees in that category. And I don't know, I, I am hoping that some of that 
goodwill toward Cooper, perhaps in light of his perceived snub or whatever you call it, um, might give him an edge in that category, which I think is still pretty wide open. Glenn, what do you think of this sort of the fate of A Star is Born now? And I think Justin's point is really interesting that now it can sort of take on sort of an underdog status. And in some ways, I think this is a situation similar to what happened with Argo a few years ago, where Ben Affleck did not get a Best Director nomination, but really sort of hit the campaign trail hard, put on a pretty serious charm offensive, and I think pushed that movie to a Best Picture win. And so do you think the same thing could happen now with The Stars One? Bradley Cooper certainly has not really been out there as much as some other people this season. So whether now he's going to really sort of like get out there in campaign mode or not, we'll have to see. But what, what do you think is going to happen now with The Stars Born? I mean, I, I would have fun with the woman who runs the Star is Born campaign and, and call the movie the front, uh, front, the front Runner, and she would get really mad at me. Don't call us the Front Runner. The thing that was a little bit different, though, I never got the sense that people aggressively went after A Star is Born. The movies that critics and film Twitter or whatever have gone after are Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody, which we've done a fair amount in this podcast, too. So Star is Born's kind of, I think, skated. It hasn't won anything outside of song, and it's going to win the Oscar for song for Shallow, which we can all sing along as we fade out this podcast. To speak to your point about the Affleck-Argo effect, Affleck hit the campaign trail hard. Affleck was out there more than anyone I have ever seen in my time covering the Academy Awards, to the point where he was actively upbraiding people who pick on gold derby saying you need to get Argo up higher. You need to, um, how can we be your number two movie? We need to be number. And, and he was just like really in the trend. And when, when I say in the trenches, I mean, talking to, um, awards pundits. He did a thing at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival, which is they have these tributes. And I was amazed after the Affleck tribute, which was hosted by Leonard Balton, there was an after party in a bar and Affleck is there with all these Oscar bloggers just talking numbers. How do you think Argo's doing? Meanwhile, the next night, Lincoln and Daniel Day-Lewis have an event and their post reception was closed to the press. <laughs> Like, it was roped off. You could not get anywhere near Day-Lewis or anyone connected with Lincoln. And Argo won. There are a lot of factors with that. And I find it weird all these years later that somebody had sympathy for Ben Affleck. It seems like a weird idea right now. But apparently there were people that year that did. Another movie I want to be sure that we talk about a little bit is Black Panther, which did get a lot of nominations. It was nominated for Best Picture, the first Marvel film to be nominated for Best Picture. It got a lot of craft nominations. There was a song nomination, production design, costume design. But the director of the film, Ryan Coogler, he himself wasn't nominated for director. The screenplay wasn't nominated. So he didn't get any kind of personal nominations. Glenn, what do you think about the situation with Black Panther? Where does it sit? I mean, it's a movie. It's obviously it was a huge box office success, cultural phenomenon. It's a movie we've been talking about now for the best better part of a year. What do you think is going to happen to that over the next few months, given sort of the nominations picture for it? Unfortunately, I think it's just going to be one of those movies that has to be the nomination we're on, you know, is the thing and we're honored to be nominated. I haven't gone through the categories to look to see if any of those craft categories it could win in. I was disappointed about Ryan Coogler. I thought he would be nominated for screenplay. He was nominated by the Writers Guild. He was nominated by the USC Scripters Awards, but he's not nominated here. And 
It's weird because Logan was nominated last year. It's not like the writer's branch is just allergic to genre films. I don't know how to explain it other than it's just, I think it's not a good moment for them. I think it's a tremendous screenplay adaptation and the directing. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen him in there. I had hopes about a month or a few weeks ago that maybe Black Panther could make some noise at the Oscars this year, but you know, not even Michael B. Jordan for supporting actor. And, and I think that would have been a really strong choice too. Justin, what's your take on Black Panther? I know you're a big fan of the movie and it's certainly a big fan of Ryan Coogler's. How do you feel about kind of where it sits given the nominations it got? I'm a big fan. To me, it's the Best Picture nominee. Like, I am actively rooting for it, although I'd be pleased to see the favorite win and Romo win as well. Black Panther of the eight films nominated is the one that spoke to me the most and has stayed with me across multiple viewings. I was pretty disappointed, but not surprised that Coogler didn't get nominated. And you see the number of craft nominations, the technical nominations that it got are, of course, a tribute to his direction and his ability to marshal all of those very disparate and very rich and very just culturally very astute and really eclectic influences in the music and in the production design. To be able to marshal those and service a really coherent vision that functions as a great genre movie movie as a great movie of ideas. I mean, this really does represent some of the best of what Hollywood can do. And so I'm pleased that it did as well as it did and disappointed that it didn't do better. I do feel, though, that it benefited from, at least in the Best Picture category, its place was secure. People knew that they had to nominate it there. It was almost like hammered in from day one, even before the brouhaha over the popular film Oscar when people thought they were going to introduce that and Black Panther might suffer as a result. And I do think that Black Panther benefited from this push to recognize popular movies and, and to not leave Marvel and superhero movies out of the conversation. And also the representational diversity conversation, because it is, of course, a beautiful marriage of both of those things. And so I feel like its place in Best Picture was secure, and as much of a case as they made for it, they couldn't sell it completely in other categories it deserves, such as director and supporting actor. In a year like this, I wouldn't have minded seeing 10 directing nominees. I mean, maybe that would have watered things down, but God, I would hope that women would have made it in. I think women should have made it in even with just five, but you know, we have upwards of you know eight to 10 picture nominees. Given how many terrifically directed films there were this year, I, you're never going to have five nominees that represent the richness of what is out there. And so, and even 10 doesn't quite fully do it, but you've got to draw the line somewhere. But I don't know. That was just a thought that crossed my mind this morning. You know, I, I wrote a piece at for today. I wrote a couple of things, but one was just on this popular film category and what might have landed and just its very short history. But, you know, the, there were two years this decade where Academy members, it was a fixed nomination, Best Picture nomination of 10 movies. And in those years... Academy members had 10 spots on their ballot to list movies. And so you got Academy members kind of thinking even more outside the box, where you had Toy Story 3 and Up, for instance, being the only animated movies in this expanded Best Picture era being nominated for Best Picture. I think if you did that again, because now Academy members just list five, there's five spots. But if you went back to 10 and you had a fixed list of 10 Best Picture nominees, and let's expand the director to match it, have 10 directing nominees, I think it would be great. I think you would see 
much better representation and much more interesting nominations. And Glenn, I wonder if you would end up in a weird situation where the the categories did not match up as well. I mean, they you know even when they were just five and five, of course they didn't always match. But this year, with Pavlikovsky getting in into a very tight race of five directors, but Cold War not getting into a field of eight picture nominees, it kind of reminds me of that year when Bennett Miller got in for Foxcatcher for directing, but Foxcatcher wasn't nominated for Best Picture. Right, so right. It's as if the film got into the more competitive category, but not into the you know the less competitive picture category. So I would love to see that happen just as an experiment, and you know the idea that you could see wide variation, and you know in in terms of what the director's branch thinks and what the Academy thinks at large. Yeah, and it'd be great if they did match up because we need things to be angry about on Oscar nominations Absolutely. day. Absolutely. And now, when people have been talking about Roma, they've been talking about the Netflix effect of the movie, the fact that the company really has not broken through in the Best Picture category up until now, and it seems like that's something they really, really want, and so that was part of the reason why there was this huge push behind Roma, and in some ways, Glenn, I'm curious, the fact that there were three nominations for the Coen Brothers picture, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which I do not think is one that was really sort of in the conversation, as it were, is that almost some kind of an overcorrection on behalf of Netflix? Or is the fact that they have put such a strong push behind some of their talent and some of their movies, they just sort of like are figuring out the game, not just for a single film, but for many films? Like, how do you kind of read those Buster Scruggs nominations in regards to the sort of effect of Netflix on the Academy? Buster Scruggs was original screenplay. So that was the picture that made it in over Black Panther for adapted screenplay. I mean, not that it was the one. There were four other nominees, too. I love Buster Scruggs. I was a big fan. I've seen it twice. And, um, you know, it's an anthology of six shorts, and, and some work better than others. Yeah, I don't think Netflix, just in its march to world domination, has better product than it ever has before. But Netflix has never had a movie like Roma you know, just that exceptional. And so with its 10 nominations and then, yeah, with voters putting Buster Scruggs in for three. And Justin, were you surprised by those Buster Scruggs nominations? Yeah, and pleasantly so. I liked Buster Scruggs a lot. It it wasn't one of my absolute favorites, but funny because that film premiered at the Venice Film Festival alongside Roma, The Favorite, and The Star is Born. And in fact, the Coen brothers won a screenplay prize there. And yet that movie was not unanimously well-received at the time, and I think didn't go to Toronto, and then kind of slept for a little while. And then that's a movie that you're seeing almost a very different approach, even though Netflix did give it more of a theatrical release than they do. They didn't give it anything of the kind of prestige roadshow treatment that they've been giving Roma. But I just felt that there was a time when Buster Scruggs, partly by dint of being, of course, a Coen Brothers movie, a movie that, by definition, benefits from multiple viewings, and that is clearly very intricately put together and thoughtful. And you felt it. I think there was a time just on social media when I felt so much conversation was happening around that movie that I'm not surprised that it seeped into the ether, as it were. And so, again, there's just not enough nominations to go around. I remember voting in various critics' organizations. I remember being thrilled at seeing how many nominations there were for Zoe Kazan uh, for supporting actress. And it's hard to single out performances like Zoe Kazan's and Tom Waits. Those are very pure, kind of classical, classic supporting performances, but this is an anthology. And so I think those performances, it's, it's harder to register on, you know, in terms of the Academy, the voting membership. But I think that's great. Another, yeah, another feather in the cap of Netflix. I agree with Glenn that I think the aversion to Netflix, while not 
something that can be entirely discounted is somewhat overblown. They love Roma. They clearly do. Now, as a way to uh, sort of wrap up our conversation here, if you could have one back, if you could uh, get one nomination in there that didn't happen today, Justin, what do you think it would be? really, really, really hard because Burning and First Reformed are my two favorite movies of the year. So it would definitely be one of those. But because I've made my, I think I've banged the drum for Burning and and Ethan Hawke and First Reformed, um, I'm going to go back and I'm just going to say... Christian Martel deserved a directing nomination for Zama. I just really do think that. I think a lot of people did, like Kugler and Barry Jenkins and Tamara Jenkins, but I would give it to Lucrecia Martel just because that movie is stunning and she just is completely antithetical to everything that I think the Academy stands for. And so for that reason alone, I really would have loved to see her get that nomination and then not show up at the Oscars. <laughs> And Glenn, what about you? Who would you want to uh, swap out? Well, I've already mentioned, I mean, a few. Um, so I'll go a different direction. I had eighth grade making it in for original screenplay over First Reformed. And as much as I'm happy, although you talked to Paul Schrader, um, <laughs> as much as I'm, I guess I'm happy for Paul Schrader, I don't know that, but to to finally be an Oscar nominee. I know he has conflicted feelings about that himself. I liked Eighth Grade a lot, and I would have put Bo Burnham's screenplay just just a hair above First Reformed. I thought it was just such a and and to see it not earn it, you know, any nominations today, I thought was disappointing. That was the one nomination I thought it might get, and it's just such an expertly observed look at adolescence and technology in a way that's not judgmental, but just very smart. And it's a remarkable feature debut from him. And I think we'll see him get some more opportunities, hopefully, to get that first Oscar nomination. Or maybe it'll be like Paul Schrader, and he'll be in his 70s and finally get one. And I have to say, I feel, Justin, you mentioned Tamara Jenkins and her film Private Life. And that's one that, again, premiered at Sundance a year ago now. So so really for an entire year. To me, the screenplay for that movie is just masterful. And I would have really loved to have seen her get a nomination for original screenplay or, frankly, the lead of that movie, Catherine Hahn, to break into the lead actress category, I think would have been really something exciting. Although, admittedly, I'm now stumping for another Netflix title. So maybe I'm undoing some of my own arguments here. <laughs> Glenn, Justin, I thank the both of you for taking some time out. I know we've all been here at work in long, long hours today. And uh, so, Glenn, tell people where they can find your work online. I'm at Glenn Whip, two N's, two P's. And Justin, where are you on the Twitter there? I am at Justin C. Chang. And I, of course, am at Indie Focus. And so for LA Times Studios and The Real, I'm Mark Olson. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>